Well, as we've already mentioned, this is Advent. We're in the time of Advent. Uh, it's a time of preparation, a time of remembering, a time of celebration. Uh, and we usually focus on Jesus' birth during uh, Advent. In fact, almost to the exclusion of everything else. Um, and I thought that this year we ought to uh, remind ourselves that the focus of Advent isn't just about Jesus' birth. It's a countdown to the celebration of his, uh, his coming, but it's not uh, just his first coming. It's uh, also a reminder that he's coming still. He's coming again. Uh, there's more to it than getting together on Christmas morning and uh, Oh, there we go. That's it. Celebration's over now. Let's get on with uh, preparation for New Year's. Um, there's more. Uh, it's preparation. Uh, it's uh, repentance. Oh, there's a word we like. That's a word we don't use very often. So let's change it. We do talk about changing our minds occasionally. Uh, we really like it when other people change their minds, at least when they change their minds to agree with us. Sometimes we don't like it when they change their minds, especially when they change their minds repeatedly. Let's not get into that. Uh, but repentance is a way of changing our thinking. It's sometimes uh, it's not been talked about for a while, but sometimes we've talked about, I've heard that people talk about a paradigm shift of point of view, a way of thinking, a shift in the way of looking at the world. That's what repentance is. It's a shift in the way we look at the world. And, and instead of just focusing on Jesus' birth, there's also in Advent a focus on the future where we are preparing ourselves not to celebrate what's happened, but to be ready for what's going to happen. These two themes come together in an Advent song called Prepare a Place. The second verse goes like this. Prepare your heart while you're, you're waiting. Prepare your heart for the coming one. Set time aside to be quiet while you wait for the coming one. While you wait for the coming one. Wait. Set time aside and be quiet while you wait. That's probably the uh, exact opposite of everything that happens in December, isn't it? Set time aside to be quiet. December is one of the craziest, most hectic times of the year. Maybe we should set more time aside to be quiet. In his letters to the followers of Jesus in the first century Greek city of Philippi, Paul expressed a similar idea in the very opening of, his, of that letter after he said uh, you know, who he was write, who, who was sending the letter and who he was writing to. He launches into the opening greeting in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. He says to them, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. I can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I just want to take a few moments to focus on the prayer that Paul prayed for the followers of Jesus. He prayed that prayer for them, but it's also a prayer that I think uh, he would pray for us and that God would want to answer for us. And as we go through it again, I want to I'm going to read the word you uh, in a way that helps us realize that he's talking about all you all. This terrible thing about the English language, when we say you, you have no idea whether I'm speaking about a single you or a plural you. Unless, of course, you're from a particular part of the country where they say all y'all or you all. Y'all, I know. I'm trying to not get into that. Okay, y'all is just you, one person. All y'all is, well, all y'all. It's more than one person. Okay? Um, use guys works too, but it just doesn't flow quite as well for me. It's, it's just not as much fun as all y'all. And, and so I'm going to read it through, and we're going to stop and, and, and make some comments along the way, but I'm going to read it that way because we're Americans, in case you haven't realized that, we're, we're Americans and we are highly individualistic in our thinking. So whenever we see the word you, we assume that Paul's talking to me. When I read the word you, I, it's like God's just talking to me. But actually, he's talking to all y'all. Lessons. Okay? So here, Paul, in verse 9, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. Hang on to that, because that's the heart of this prayer. It's, Paul says, my prayer is that your love, all y'all's love, will abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that all you all may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
So I'm going to pause and ask a question. This is review for some. It's maybe news for others. What is the day of Christ? Paul mentions it twice already in this first section, the verses 3 through 11. He mentions the day of Christ or the day of Christ Jesus twice. It's the day uh, he describes in the next chapter, as I like to call it, the second page of this letter, when he says, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. It is the day that hasn't come yet, but it is coming. When he, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now Paul and the first readers of this letter, the first people that he wrote this letter to, they expected that to happen any time. But as the years have come and gone, Christians have kind of lost that sense of expectancy, which is kind of strange. Uh, you know, it's, it's like 2,000 years have passed, and instead of thinking that we're 2,000 years closer to a happening, we've actually acted like we're 2,000 years further away from it happening. Well, you know, they thought it was going to happen, and obviously it didn't, so it's not going to. That's kind of the way we act. Well, we probably don't say that out loud, but that's kind of the way we act. We've lost a sense of expectancy. I want to remind you, and that's one of the reasons we, I, I wanted to remind us at Advent this year in particular, the day of Christ, the day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, is 2,000 years closer than it was for Paul, and he expected it at any moment. You and I need to expect that it is entirely possible that it will happen any moment. Now, Let's just leave it at that. I'm not going to get really crazy and pull out a whole bunch of charts. Uh, that's not what this is about. Jesus can come whenever he pleases. It doesn't matter what the charts say. In fact, I think that the sooner, the, the more... The more sure somebody is that they haven't figured out, the more likely it is that they are totally confused. But that's just my opinion. I won't fight over that. It's, let's just leave that. All right? He can come any moment. He might come this afternoon. He may actually come before I finish this sermon. And believe me, I know how long my notes are. That could be any moment. <laughs> And then this is Paul's prayer. This is my prayer, he says, that this is my prayer for you. That your love may abound more and more. Now, what, did, what does he mean when he says love? I, I, think, I think a lot of people, most people, uh, tend to think that God's love for them is, is, is merely tolerance. Um, it, it, just like, 
God leaves me alone and I leave him alone and we get along just fine. Unless it occurs I get into really bad trouble and then I, I, I hope that maybe by some fun chance he might possibly be listening to me because I really need all the help I can get when I'm in big trouble. Right? Uh, it, it's almost as if uh, we, we hope, we just, God loves me enough to leave me alone. It's just, he tolerates me. And so as a result, people who, who aren't following Jesus yet, who are outside of God's kingdom and his family, and particularly people who are outside of, uh, of, of the church as, as a whole, generally have the same kind of apathetic, expect that same kind of apathetic tolerance uh, from God's family. You know, let's just all live and let live. You do your thing, we'll do our thing. Don't bother us, we won't bother you. And by that, if that was the definition, then what Paul is saying is that if your love abounds more and more, then all that means is it's going to become more and more detached and less and less uh, caring about other people. But I don't think that's the way it is. The, the love that abounds more and more doesn't grow more and more detached. It becomes more and more like Jesus and his unexpected love, the unexpected love of our king is completely different than merely tolerating us. And merely letting us be. See, Jesus' love looks at each person. This is where we get to be individuals again. He looks at each and every one of us, every single person. He looks at every one of us as God's unique image bearer, and he likes us. He enjoys us. He doesn't just put up with us. He doesn't just tolerate us. He doesn't go, oh, well, okay. If I just don't look at him, I won't smack him. He looks at us and he goes, oh, they're awesome. Yeah, I, I know. There's several people who are already arguing with me, but you don't know what I'm really like. And here's the really cool part. I don't, but he does, and he still thinks you're awesome. He still likes you. He still enjoys you. He still delights in you. He still loves you. Not, not just tolerates you, And so he calls his followers to be the ones who 
first of all, experience that affection, that kind of the love of Christ for themselves, and then they become the ones who learn to trust the fact that he really loves them as they are and for who they are so much then that they learn to like themselves. And because they've learned to like themselves, they can dare to believe something different about God and about themselves, and then they start loving other people in the same way. And do you want to really freak people out? Like them because they exist. Not because of what they can do for you. Not because of the nice kinds of people they are. Not in spite of the rotten people that they are. Just because they breathe. Well, I'm not sure I can do that. Well, that's why Paul prays that our love will abound more and more. Because we need all the help we can get to learn how to love people just because they breathe. That's not the way we usually work. Our love for others will never exceed our love for ourselves. And our love for ourselves will never exceed our awareness and our experience of God's love for us of his absolute delight in who we are. Jesus put it this way in the Gospel of John, which you may or may not have read several times this year, but if you haven't had a chance to, I encourage you to do it again. If you have, if you have a chance to read, let me see. Yes. You have a chance to read a chapter a day between now and the end of the year with a few days left over in case you get by start right now. Well, this afternoon. I would wait until after. John chapter 15, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. That's the standard. I've loved you. Here you've experienced it. Now love each other that same way. We have to know beyond, beyond not, not head knowledge. We have to know that we know God's love for us. In other words, we've got to know that God likes us. This is the whole point that Jesus makes. And this may be the most important question anybody will ever ask you. Are you ready? Do you know that Jesus likes you. Do you know that Jesus delights in you? Some of you are already going, but you, I'm not good enough. But that's not the issue. Do you know that God enjoys you? Do you know that the Holy Spirit rejoices over you with gladness? Do you know Jesus likes you? Not, not, I'm not talking about some theological theory or scriptural statement. You, know, you go, well, yeah, because it says in John 3, 16, 
for God so loved the world and I'm part of the world, so obviously God loves me. Well, yes, and you can even change that around into God so loved Judy or God so loved Tom and God so loved Pat and God so loved Mark. And so, yeah, God loves me. No, I'm not talking about this head knowledge. Do you know Jesus likes you simply because you breathe? Simply because you are. Simply for being you. Do you feel God's delight in you? Not, not because of something you've done or the things that you've refrained from doing, but simply for being you. Do you sense the Spirit celebrating your existence? Not because you're on Santa's nice list and managed to stay off the naughty list this year, but just for being you, even if you're on the naughty list. Think about that for a minute. How could anybody ever get enough of that? How could anyone ever get enough of that life-transforming love that says, I love you, I enjoy you, I delight in you, I celebrate you. Now I know, because I do it. And I figure if I do it, there are other people who do it too. Maybe not all of you, but some of you are arguing with me right now. But, 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 but. Look, I don't know what your arguments are. I know what mine are. It doesn't matter. You can come up with a list That's longer than you can ever imagine. My, my, my granddaughters, Nina and Ellie, have found out about the biggest number in the world, and I can't remember what it's called. But they love to talk about whatever it is. You can come up with that many excuses. And when you come down to the very last one, that, you, that very last one, and you hit that very last one, God is not going to go, oh, I hadn't thought of that one. You're right. You're a bum. I don't like you. You can't. You can come up with all the excuses you can think of for God to not like you and not delight in you and not to celebrate you. And when you get all done, he's going to go, are you done now? Because I just want to enjoy your presence. Okay. I mean, how can anyone ever get enough of that life-transforming love? How many of us could ever be saying, oh, okay, that's all I need. I'm good. That's like taking one deep breath and going, ah, okay. I think I'm good for the next 30 years. I don't need to do it anymore. Trust me, 
breathing is something you want to keep doing. So how can we experience Jesus' love for us more and more and more? If Paul says he wants this, uh, this love for us to abound, our love for to abound more and more and more until the day of Jesus, until the day of Christ. How, how's that going to happen? How can we do that? Well, first, I want to point out this is a prayer. So it must involve something about God doing things for us that we can't do for ourselves. Okay, that's good. That's a relief. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to remove the obstacles in us that are the obstacles that keep us from sensing God's delight in us. While at the same time, he, we, we let him help us install new ways to sense that delight in us. You see, that's what repentance is talk about that momentarily, but repentance involves taking away things that keep us from sensing how much he loves us and likes us and delights in us and putting in new ways of being aware of that and being able to sense his love for us and his delight for, in us and his liking us. And, and that opens the door for us. The more that we experience that, the easier it becomes for us then to like ourselves and then to like other people just because they breathe. We tend to think of repentance largely in, uh, in, in negative terms. Stop, don't, and quit. Words like that. Stop that. Don't do that. Quit it. And that's part of it. But, but there's more. What if repentance is more about turning towards something that's really good instead of just getting away from bad things? What if, what if it also means go and do and start? It, it's, it's important to turn away from undesirable things, but it, it's also very important to turn toward something that's beautiful. To repent is a to change our minds, to change the way we think, to change the way we look at things, to change the way we look at the world. It's a reorienting of our highest aspirations and goals toward the best thing imaginable, to reorient our lives toward experiencing and sharing the fact that God delights in us. We were created for lives of abounding love. Love that abounds more and more and more and more and more. Infinite love. That's where Paul's prayer comes from. Your love may overflow more and more. And that's what I want for me. That's what I want for us. That our love would overflow with insight and knowledge so that we can determine what's best. 
So let's get real practical about this. About my pastor, because frankly, I don't what kind of lost in all this hazy theoretical stuff. Good, because this is where we get practical. Your soul, your inner life, your, your spirit is, is, is like a garden. Some of us have had gardens in our lives. Some of us have done well at gardening. Some of us quit because, well, There's some things I grow better than others. Weeds is one of those things that I grow really well. Our souls, our souls respond to the law of uh, sowing and reaping just like everything else in the universe. We, we, we reap whatever we sow. If you plant tomatoes, you're going to reap. Tomatoes, you plant tomatoes, you reap tomatoes. You plant beans, beans, you reap beans. You put an acorn in the ground, you're going to get oak tree. eventually an oak tree. Eventually, right? Because that takes a little longer than the beans and the tomatoes and the corn. And, and if you want to annoy your neighbors, plant six or seven zucchini plants. Because you're going to want to get rid of those things, right? Because you're going to have lots of zucchini to reap. Uh, what happens if you don't plant anything? You get weeds. <laughs> or if you're like me, even if you plant other stuff, you get weeds. Because that's just my gift. Uh, see, that's the thing. Weeds seem to come up naturally, even in us spiritually. <coughs> Excuse me. We, we don't have to plant them. And that's what the Bible means when it says that we, we are we're we broken, that we have a tendency to be, that we're sinful by nature, that we that we, 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 we tend to, to, what I mean, that's a practical, I mean, that's the word picture. We sprout weeds by nature. Uh, so to be sure, repentance means that we need to weed our souls, our spirits. We need to pull those weeds. Uh, but even more so, it means that we need to be planting the seeds of love and inc other incredible things. Weeding helps tons. You've got to get rid of the weeds. But bearing the fruit of righteousness that Paul talks about only comes from sowing new seeds. Advent is about pulling weeds, but it's also even more about sowing new seeds. That's the practical thing here. It's in a sermon in a sentence. Now is the time to pull weeds and to plant seeds spiritually. Obviously not in Michigan gardens. You need to wait a couple months. So this is the question I want to ask you. What, what, what weeds what weeds tend to keep you from feeling that God likes you? That Jesus delights in you? What are the weeds that keep you from sensing 
Holy Spirit, please celebrate in your existence. Are you ready to give those weeds to Jesus? Go ahead and pull them. And then what seeds do you need to plant so that we give a reaping a harvest of knowing and sharing that love of Jesus? What weeds tend to keep you from knowing who delights in you? What seeds do you need to plant? to experience it more and more. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. He likes us. Much as he loves us. Thank you for your patience. With all of our arguments. Times we give you our reasons for you not to like us, not to love us, not to delight in us. In your grace and in your mercy. Keep filling us with the experience of your delight in us. Break in, squeeze it in between all those weeds and objections and arguments we may push it up. Just find a way through. Till we start to realize how much we really experience that, that love, that light, that delight. And I, we ask that you make your love the core of our lives. Jesus, we must know Not theoretically, but by experience. We must know by experience that you enjoy our company. So come, Holy Spirit, wake us up to your amazing love in a way that pushes aside anything that keeps us 
As you transform us with that love, help us to transform the people around us. Again, I want to thank you for uh, connecting with us, either online or on site. Um, good to be with you. Wherever you are, as followers of Jesus, you live in enemy-occupied territory. And your mission is to join King Jesus in a great campaign of sabotage and ultimately to undermine the rebellion that has taken this world and turned it upside down and inside out. So how? Well, I think it's a great idea to take our marching orders from the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Where there is hatred, go spread God's amazing love. Where there's hurt, Propagate pardon. Where there is doubt, plant seeds of faith. Where there is despair, infuse hope. Where there is darkness, shine Jesus' light. Where there is sadness, circulate joy. All y'all's mission is clear. Y'all, all y'all are sent. <laughs> You're not going alone, but you are sent. Go with Jesus. I mean it. Go. There she is. Yeah. Okay, there. Um, just that one. Yeah. I wanted to. Yeah. <laughs>